Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to the first episode of the Grabs Podcast. I'm Grant Schwalbe, and joining me is Justin McWilliams. I'm a firefighter down in Estero, Florida, on the west coast of southwest coast of Florida. Uh, Justin, tell us where you're from. I work for Clackamas Fire in Oregon. We border um, Portland Fire in the southeast side. Cool. So we got to work together a few years back teaching a search class, and it was awesome to see how people at seemingly opposite ends of the country can come to some of the same conclusions. We're, we're absolutely loving that the uh, search culture and putting them first is, is spreading like wildfire. Part in, in getting a chance to teach, I've gotten to talk a lot with Justin, and, and we've both experienced the same thing, that we talk to a lot of students and students want to hear, share their stories and we benefit by hearing the real world, uh, what's happening in the real world, the, the, what the wins and the, um, the non-wins. But it's awfully self, selfish of us to just keep that to ourselves. So we started talking how, how it would be cool to capture that, share that in the podcast and with the goal of keeping the podcast at, you know, no more than 15 to 20 minutes. So you can share it easily with your crew for those with the short attention spans or, or listen to it on the commute. Justin, why don't you talk about what kind of our goals are with this podcast? Pretty much the goals of this is just, is just to spread the word of how people are actually performing rescues and what our successes are and actually really emphasizing on what our learned lessons are. Um, really putting away our egos and, you know, n none of us make grabs every day. And I'd say that most of the grabs around the country are probably first time grabs by people. And so just to be able to listen to each other so that one of us, when we do come upon a, a victim that we can take these podcasts and listen to them and really understand, hey, it's not all about the pud straps. People are actually just, when you get inside, grabbing an arm or grabbing a leg and just getting them out, uh, how they make the decisions on the inside. So it's all about making a better outcome for our victim. Cool. Uh, why don't you talk real quick about the rescue survey? So www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com came out three years ago. We have about 1,200 surveys. It is 100% voluntary, and we are we have about 50 questions that we ask uh, if if you're on scene of a fire with a victim, rescue or assist, if they're dead or alive, you go to the website, you fill it out, and it asks very specific questions of like, how long did it take for them to find the victim? How long did it take them out? How many people did it take? What floor were they on? Were they on a bed, under a bed? How old were they? Were they in a crib? so that we can increase our successes throughout the nation on our on our rescues. We're only we're trying to increase our data for our successes across the nation. And I love it because uh, NIFR's information just sucks. So it's a way to go in there with the crew and, and kind of look and see what's actually being done and train on what really needs to be trained on instead of the abstract stuff. Another thing we want with this podcast, uh, in addition to keeping it short, but take – Take these lessons learned. We want wins. We want losses. But incorporate these into your training. Instead of doing making up a drill or a scenario where you've got, you know, 15, 15 kids in a bedroom to make it difficult on the, the student, pick one of the, the grabs, the stories that you hear, and do that. And then you can follow it up with playing the or, or sending them the podcast. We just want to make this just good and enjoyable and, and something that people can listen to. As you as you do these, if you've got a grab, if you've got something that you want to share to us, we're not going to do all of these, Justin and I, together. We're going to do them separate because the goal is just tough to get people together. But uh, reach out to one of us. You can do that on, on Facebook. Justin, what do you, Search Culture also on Facebook, they could reach you through that. Absolutely. Yeah, either on the Facebook for personal or, yeah, Search Culture. 
Yeah, so find us online. Uh, our email addresses will also be listed in the bio for the podcast, so you can hit us up that way. But we want to hear your, your stories for sure. We felt appropriate to for this first story to be the one that Justin had just a few few months ago. So, Justin, you want you want to tell us about your your grab? Yeah. So, uh, so my name's Justin McWilliams. I work at Clackamas Fire. We have about twenty stations. I work in a pretty suburban area. Very few high rises. Mostly apartment buildings, single family dwellings, anywhere from a cardboard box all the way up to um, twenty thousand square foot McMansions, and then also commercial and and whatnot. I'm currently assigned to uh, Heavy Rescue 305 as a lieutenant. It's a four-person crew. So uh, I wanted to start out that uh, what really made this rescue a success was that it was this was not me. This was not my just my crew. Uh, this is not just my my crew. It was it was the first handful of companies on scene just working seamlessly together and just like prioritizing, getting inside, getting the line set, and uh, flooding the space with uh, with firefighters searching. So um, on June thirteenth, about nineteen fifty nine. 27 seconds. We were dispatched to a working house fire with multiple people trapped on the like the 9700 block of uh, 38th Street in Milwaukee, Oregon. We had in route. We had multiple callers that were stating that the house was well involved. There was thick black smoke pushing up from out all the windows. There were multiple people trapped. There was a mom going in trying to get her son out. And as our first company was arriving, they were talking about how the smoke column had laid down in the whole area, blocks wide. So they they were trying to get to the address, but it uh, it blocked their vision a few blocks out. <clears throat> about 20.05.07, probably about five minutes later, Engine 2 was a, a three-person rig. They were our first arriving engine company. They arrived at a one-story, 1,600-square-foot home, fire blowing out the Alpha and Charlie sides. Uh, they had, like, black smoke coming from the bedroom windows and the eaves. Engine 302's firefighter and officer, they uh, they hopped off, the air brake got popped, and they started beelining towards the Bravo side of the structure, doing a 360 together, and they were just looking for any searchable space. They lo- located a, uh, a window on the Bravo side, so they, they prioritized the less involved area, located a uh, window on the Bravo side of the structure, and they uh, BS'd. They, both, they broke it out as a high window. Uh, they went in with uh, both of them, searched the room. They opened the door to go beyond the door, and it was just uh, well involved with fire. So they weren't able to extend. So they uh, made egress back out the window. They they just made entry in. At the same time, Engine 302's engineer pulled a line, and, they, and he started putting water uh, through the front picture window and the, through the front door, getting to start to get knocked down with pink water. The uh, it was it was such a hot fire that the you know the green grass was burnt about fifteen feet fifteen twenty feet out on the alpha side from from the house. At the same time as they were making egress, the officer and the firefighter making egress out that Bravo side window, power line dropped on engine three hundred two, which was the original pumping apparatus. At around twenty oh seven thirteen, two minutes about two minutes after the first arriving engine. Engine 1, Truck 4, and Heavy Rescue 305 all arrived almost exactly at the same time. So uh, Engine 301, they're a four-person crew. They were assigned fire attack. Came the pumping engine uh, due to the power line being dropped on the first two engines. And uh, Engine 301's firefighters messed up and pushed in with the line, making a good knock on it, With uh, originally with the uh, tank water of Engine 301. 
Engine 301's uh, officer pulled a bulk line to the Charlie side uh, where they had uh, heavy fire, and Engine 301 driver secured a hydrant. At the same time, since we had all three, we had three other apparatus arrive at the same time. Truck 304 has a four-person crew. They were assigned all-out for vent. Uh, they made their way to the roof. They had uh, multiple layers of comp over tongue and groove um, roofing. They prioritized venting over the main body of the of the fire. And then as they were getting a knockdown of the fire, they were also uh, just started dropping back and started opening up structure for venting for life uh, over every every room and, and the hallway to increase uh, the visibility for our surge. Heavy Rescue 305, the where I was assigned, we, uh, we arrived, we were all in for search. At that time, we, we split our crews into Team A and Team B. So Team B, who is the uh, driver and one of the firefighters that day, they prioritized the front door and went in with fire attack. They prioritized like the main path, the egress, and the, and the fire room of origin. Performed like a split search, that we would call it. One took the living room and started going towards the Charlie side, and one started with the, uh, the initial entry room, which was the kitchen. And it was uh, pretty low visibility at the time, but uh, they were knocking out windows and bending as they searched. So they started getting pretty good lift pretty quick. The hose lines, we have uh, 15, 16 to, um, nozzles with 188 hose, and so we get a good knockdown. We, we throw about 170 gallons a minute on there. So the knockdown was actually pretty quick with a couple tanks of water. Team A, which I am on, being the firefighter, we had the mom yelling at us on the Delta side of the building, and we ran ran up towards her, popped our way through a fence, and she was saying, hey, uh, my kid's inside, he's autistic, and he has Down syndrome, and he locked himself in the bathroom. So as we're like, okay, where is he? What's his name? Uh, where is he at? We were masking up. It took about 13 seconds to mask up. When we're on the Charlie side, we're sizing it up to how we're going to make entry. So we went to the Charlie side and met up with Engine 302 officer and firefighter who just came out the windows from the Bravo side VES. Popped a window, uh, which was a bedroom window on the Charlie Delta corner. Firefighter from 302 jumped in the window, started performing a search. I went after him, sent him across the hall, and he went to he went to a bedroom on the Alpha side shut the door, broke the window, started bending for life, and started searching that area. As I started working my way down the hallway, we had zero vis. It was pretty warm inside still, but most of the fire was starting to, was just getting knocked down at that time. We had still had a firefighter and an officer outside that window we VES, so I went back into that bedroom and said, hey, we need you get in here. So uh, both of them dumped into the window. They thought we was going to be a quick grab, so they were waiting for just the help of the rescue when they realized we needed to make sure that we needed to flood the space and it was going to take less time for them to come in. So both of them popped in the window. Officer uh, searched the initial bedroom, and that was actually Tim's bedroom. Uh, the, the Tim's the victim we found, and then uh, which had good visibility at the time because we already painted it. And then my firefighter, I sent him across the hall to another bedroom where he shut the door and uh, had some uh, some cluttered space in there. Broke out the window, had some initial high heat, zero vis, and uh, searched that room. I was trying to find the bathroom at that time, and I was at the end of the hall, and there was some kind of closet, ended up being some kind of closet or some kind of door, and I was trying to feel, but I had like zero vis. And I couldn't, under, I didn't understand that it wasn't the bathroom because I thought this bathroom would have been at the end of the hall. Ended up not, so I messed around there for probably, I don't know, 
10, 15 seconds. I started backing my way down the hall as we split searched and just started searching room after room. I came across a closed door. I opened it up, put my shoulder into it, popped it. And that was actually the bedroom or the bathroom door that uh, Tim was behind. Tim, he was he was on the ground in moderate smoke. The door was shut. There was a bathroom. There was a window in that bathroom. But, that, but to get to that window, you'd have to go in the tub, and the window was pretty high in the smaller window. Tim's pretty big dude. He's about 220 pounds. And so when we, I went in there, I called out victim, victim, victim. And everybody knew what, uh, if, you know, if we, you know, obviously that's an easy signal for everybody to hear that if it's a repetitive of three, it's either a mania or a victim, and I need somebody's help to come and help me out. So as I go to grab his arm, I'm going to do a quick, dirty grab and grab and drag him out. Since I made the decision, I'm not going to take him out that window. I think it'd be too hard. Plus, on the outside of that window, they still had burning debris because there was like a backside patio cover that was burning and there's a lot of debris. So I started to go to grab his arm, but he's still conscious and he's fighting me. So I don't know if he's fighting me because he's inhaled so much smoke or it's because he has Down syndrome or he's scared or what's going on. So I go to grab his arm. He pulls away from me. He starts being a little bit combative, so I just bear hug him. I grab him, bear hug him. I go out in the hallway, and the the smoke is starting to lift because everybody is opening up their doors because we're venting for life, and we have a good knockdown on the fire. As I start making my way towards the front door, we, I go about 15 feet. I'm dragging him there, and I turn around, and T, Heavy 5 Team A is uh, coming down the hallway to come assist. They already completed their search on that side of the structure. I ran into my buddy, Matt Joe, my fire, one of my firefighters, and I look behind me, and I still see a little bit of flame and so and a lot of clutter. So I put Tim down back on the ground. We start pushing pushing just furniture over and trying to that's that's a little bit on fire still and still flaming up and and singed so we're trying to make path and it just took too long in my head so i'm like you know what nope i'm not going to drag them through this through this product I'm like hey we're going to go out the alpha side bedroom window so i'm reminding you we came in the charlie side bedroom window so at this time all the other guys had finished searching their bedrooms and coming out to help and i said hey let's go out the alpha side bedroom window so the guy that, that uh, Clay, who searched the far bedroom outside window, he went back in that bedroom, and he's like, all right, I'm going to clear the window. So even though he vented that window, he didn't clear the window because we were we were only trying to vent for life and, and take up as little amount of time as possible. That's how we do it at Clackamas. So he went in there. He took his halligan, popped out the whole um, window, and it only took probably five to six seconds maybe the time it took us to actually get Tim to the bedroom. So as I look back down to Tim in the hallway, he had flipped himself over and I could only see his back. So he was definitely still conscious and he started crawling a little bit back towards the back bedroom. And then we grabbed him and started helping him out. And so his more came, became more of an assist down the hallway. As we came down there to the assist, one of the officers, he's got on the radio and said, Hey, we're coming out the alpha side of the structure with the victim. We got into the bedroom, and two of us just grabbed him and put him up on a bed. And that bed is was uh, probably about three foot off the ground. And at that time, Clay already knocked out the rest of the window. And so we had uh, Tim on the bed, and we two of us grabbed him. Clay turned around, and him and I grabbed him, and we put head, head first out the window. It was only about a foot higher than the bed. Real simple. 
Uh, and it was, we handed them off to Heavy Heavy Five Team A, who went to the office of the structure. At that time, he went limp, and brought, they brought him out to uh, the front yard and started to perform medical on him. So, I mean, that's pretty much the gist of the story. I mean, it was a success of just the whole fire ground. With that, you know, with that being said, I want, one of the things I want to really emphasize with our department is more of what the what we've really learned from this with this fire is that I think it really opened people's eyes of how much the tempo of the fire ground directly is directly related to outcomes of our fire victims. So I'll just give you a few times of what happened is that by the time that we arrived, Heavy, five, Heavy Rescue 305 arrived and the air brake popped, we were inside the structure on the through VES was 52 seconds. It took us 13 seconds to mask up with our with our gloves on. It took us about a minute and 43 seconds to locate Tim in the bathroom. And it took us from the time we located Tim to the time that he was at medical care in the front yard was a minute and 10 seconds. That's awesome. I know you guys have a super aggressive search culture in Clackamas. A couple of things that you touched on in the story that maybe people aren't super familiar with, you talk about searching beyond the door. Can you just real quick explain the beyond the door concept? Uh, so the concept is really is that uh, with Clackamas Fire, we you have a huge push, and actually with Brothers in Battle, we have a huge push, is that hey, a door is a window, a window is a door, is that when we VES, we VES with two people unless in very extreme circumstances. So we go in with two because we're always going to work to clear the structure. We don't just VS the bedroom window thinking that we're only going to search that one window and we're going to come out. So what we do is uh, we do this because we believe that we are decreasing our time to complete a search of a whole structure. So we both go in the window. One searches typically, typically searches the initial room. One goes out the hallway. They shut the door they do a sweep of the hallway and they come up with a plan of what's going on, depending on the conditions in there. Once the firefighter gets uh, done searching the initial bedroom, they come out to the hallway. There's already a plan in place. Say, hey, you go left, you go right. So we split search either the hall or we split search living room or a, a large room. And uh, we and then we work with the other team that went through the front door, the inside team, to complete a search of the floor and or the, the uh, building. Another concept that you talked about was venting for life. Now, it sounded like you guys were aggressively venting for life. Do you do that on all fires, or was it is it more aggressive when you have something, you know, a confirmed victim inside? So it's definitely going to be more aggressive when we have a uh, possible victim inside. Well, not possible, uh, reports of victims inside. But that being said, the, the crew on the roof, they were more aggressive, I believe, with topside vent for venting for life than we normally would. We normally probably just prioritize in a single family residence, prioritize uh, over the fire, and then they would probably come inside to help search. But they were, but this building was too small to have 10 people searching. But venting for life as in while well, we search, we always prioritize that. But there, a quick little talk about that would be, one, if uh, you walk in and it's like an attic fire and there's light lazy smoke in there and it's really high vis, we leave the windows. If you go in and it's moderate smoke and you can see the locks in the windows easily and you can manipulate it and open it within seconds, we do. We open up the window and then we push out the screen. If I go in and it's low to zero vis and it's going to make a difference, we go in with the halogen. I break out the windows, both sides or whatever, if there's only one panel or whatever, break it out. We don't clear it and we don't take out sashes because it takes too much energy and too much time. 
And at that time, you get enough lift that you can sweep your eyes underneath that smoke. And it, it moves the ventilation quick. Because if you shut that door, or you shut that door to that bedroom where the victims are and you don't ventilate, you're not getting lift. And now we're just searching blind. You can use a tick and ticks are great. I'm horrible at using a tick. But the thing is, is that I still have to search with my hands. The tick cannot find victims in sleeping bags, in, under, under blankets, behind, you know, behind furniture and shit like that. So you have to still be able to see and feel. Awesome. I think one of the uh, lost arts or what's gotten misconstrued in all the flow path stuff is vending for life and how much it can really speed up the process and just closing doors and being being mindful of, of what we did do uh, so it doesn't make things worse, but definitely use Absolutely. it to our advantage. Absolutely. So, like, I'm very mindful, and we teach in our, teach in our department, is that be mindful of where what the line's doing. Is it flowing? Is it overwhelming the fire? Are we getting knocked down? And can you isolate the room? And those two things allow you to vent and search all day long. I want to tell you about Tim real quick. This is a uh, huge impact. I just I see him every five days or so. Uh, a lot of our companies go and visit him. He went from being the the he had is the worst lung burns in a manual, which is our burn center in the whole area. Uh, hit their history. Who has survived? So uh, his trach's out now. Uh, he's getting out of bed. He's relearning how to walk, but he has very—he doesn't have any deficits that we know of. Um, but this just emphasizes how much we don't know on the fire ground. We just have to prioritize the inside, get him out, and then let you know let medical decide and God decide who's going to live and who's going to die. Awesome, awesome story. Um, I hope some people picked up some stuff on it. I think that's exactly what we're we're trying to do. Keep it short. Um, I know people can reach out to you if they've got any more questions. They can reach out to me if they've got any more questions. We'll do podcasts in the future on different formats, strictly dedicated to search, so you get the whole search thing. But trying to yeah. just to keep this with what it is and and sharing a story and introducing ourselves to to everybody. I want to thanks. Thanks to you, Justin, for sharing this. And, again, how can people get a hold of you if they've got a story to share uh, to get on grabs? Just go through Facebook, either my, either under my name or search culture is the easiest. Do your thing. i uh, love to hear all the stories. Follow-up that I w- we want to be able to obtain from everybody on this is the victim follow-up. Uh, but, yeah, anyways, get on Facebook. Give me a call. Cool. And if you need to get a hold of me, be up on Facebook, branchwellby at gmail.com or the uh, Facebook page, Residential Primary Search, Making the Grab. Thanks for joining and share this with everybody. See you next time.